Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. Everybody, thank you for coming to this Collector's Corner Spaces. My name is P. You may know me as at Aston Cloud. I'm joined by my co-host up here on stage, Jared underscore Pause, who goes by Jared. Uh, and we are super excited because we're going to be talking to William Mapon about his next project, Strands of Solitude. This, we're, They look beautiful. We pinned a tweet to the uh, top of the page here that goes through a lot of the outputs that he had teased. So you can kind of scroll through that whenever and take a look at the art. It's also up on Tonic's site. If you go to tonic.xyz, you can see some of the pieces that were shown there as well. And a quick agenda for this is we, you know, we're just want to talk through William about his process on this art. And uh, if we can, if we can tease out some, some details that he can share ahead of time about the actual outputs, that would be amazing. You know, we, we love to do that, William. And we also wanted to just say that, you know, none of this is uh, financial advice, uh, since we don't have our normal disclaimer at the end of our podcast. Uh, we really want to focus this on the art and how beautiful it is and the process that went into it. So just everybody, if you want to purchase this, all the normal disclaimers, just make sure you can afford it and all those other things. Um, but we're here to focus on William and the art. And so we're going to talk through a bunch of questions. And then uh, I know that uh, Susanna from Tonic was uh, potentially going to join. Uh, we And we want to open it up for questions for both William and Tonic towards the end. And I'll just do a quick like one minute on, oh, there's Susanna. Uh, just a quick one minute on uh, Tonic. Uh, they're a new platform that has had a couple of releases now, and uh, they are doing some great stuff in the space. So we're happy to see them. They focus a lot on onboarding traditional collectors. Everybody who gets this mint has the option of a free, I believe it's a 9 by 16 physical of the mint. So we're really glad that Tonic is here trying to fill the gap for bridging traditional collectors as well as uh, others, you know, us here into Web3. And as I mentioned, when we get into the questions and answers portion, if, if anyone has a question for Susanna, uh, we can, you know, please feel free to ask her. But there's so much to go through on the art and William itself that we wanted to start there. So huge mouthful. I'll pause there. Anything to add, Jay? Pause before we dive into nothing questions. other than you know, really excited. Thank you both, Tonic and William, for your time. Uh, really looking forward to digging into this, and there will be a questions portion of it uh, after I'll call it roughly sixty minutes. So, if there's anybody in the crowd who, uh, in in listening, it sparks any sort of questions, write it down, commit it to memory. Love to have you up. You know, part of this is really facilitating uh, for each of you as a collector to to be able to create a platform for you to to engage directly with with Tonic and and William. So, thank you everybody for joining, um, and thank you William and Susanna for for making the the time to to talk to us. I'm I'm super excited for this and super excited for what's coming uh, out of Tonic. So, thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Jay Paul. So let's jump in. William, the first question that we had is just what was your inspiration for Strands of Solitude? Um, inspiration, uh, hard to explain uh, as usual, <laughs> but um, 
Um, the main inspiration was my, how, how to say, how to, how to define this was how I was feeling in, in a crowd and how I was feeling as an artist since now that I'm doing this full time and and the last couple of years um, being isolated um, with COVID and lockdowns. And this is basically the, the main vision that I had with this series that I developed over time, but that I, I tried to stick all along to, to, to this vision, basically. Real quick, uh, one of the, the dynamics that I wanted to, to touch on was something that I'm not 100% clear on, so I want to like just scratch the surface on this, but also understand it, uh, maybe some reasoning behind it. But I know that uh, there's an offering of being able to select something for a, a cost early on, uh, select your output or out. My question ultimately is, are all of the outputs predetermined and then randomly selected during Mint? Or is there a live algorithm that uh, creates the outputs just out of curiosity? Uh, yeah, all outputs are pre-selected. Um, so basically, I worked in a long-form uh, way, I would say, and then I would like output with batches of outputs, um, like th thousands of images, and then we have to <laughs> select some, which is super hard and long and Energy consuming, but yeah, the, the goal was to have like a long form, but created basically, and and yeah, that's that's how it takes so much long, <laughs> so much time. Um, I noticed I didn't fully answer the previous question because um, I'm so tired. But to continue on this question, uh, the trend of solitude. Uh, this name was. So basically, the, all the compositions that now now we, you saw the previews. So the composition is made of like tiny strands that that goes along the composition along the canvas, and I try to isolate and make multiple groups of of colors or dynamics or flows, and each bubble basically represents. Uh, a group of people or data or stuff like that. And it's basically meant to say, uh, we all live together, right? So we all alone together and we all together alone. And sometimes we don't know it. Sometimes we notice it. Sometimes we go in different directions. Sometimes we go with all a kind of master direction, which are uh, which are represented with the flows in the compositions. So even if you're not aware that you're going somewhere, um, you actually are because the masses, the crowd is going there and you're in it. And sometimes you're just like, um, like, a yellow <laughs> like a crazy person and you don't follow the flow and you just go onto your own timeline. So that's what I try to represent, and 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 yeah, basically that that's it. 
so many questions popping up because I see a lot of throughput uh, with some previous projects, but I'll, I'll reserve that uh, my, my excitement for <laughs> for the kind of the intent behind the design for I guess one follow up question to the pre curation is um, it's kind of a different approach, and I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I just I guess the question for me is why that approach versus maybe a traditional long form output. Um, uh, I think the goal that I, I liked the, uh, the when Tonic contacted contacted me um, with this vision of bridging traditional collectors with with Web with three collectors uh, was to be able to see the output uh, before you buy because we noticed that a lot of non Web3 collectors, people are, that are not used to this new format of long form, are quite afraid of it. They don't like to buy something they don't know. So having this mechanism was a way for them to just you know, onboard them with giant art and all this new thing happening with Web3 and blockchain. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's a good bridge, basically. No, that's that's awesome, and that's a, a good perspective because you know, especially I'd imagine, um, a lot of the the people listening here are maybe a little bit more Web three native, and it's a good reminder for all of us that uh, you know, to me, and this is a big thing that I've been really, really leaning into is, you know, in order for the space to grow, more people have to be onboarded. So, I, I love that approach, and I love the the amount of. Uh, consideration and, and thought that went into it. So um, before I, I turn it off to P, is I guess my question ultimately would be kind of a, is there any particular output that like struck you as like uh, that's available that uh, maybe had a little bit more of a deeper resonance with you or anything in particular? Um, I think the the output that very talk to me was the um, very where, where there is very low density in the composition where you very feel alone into this whole canvas this whole composition and then you just try to find your way towards somewhere and and this is how i, I started the, the series with very th thin and detailed and not very busy composition and then I like step by step I, I try to to make more variety and to expand the concept but this is how it started with the emotion the feeling of being alone so yeah that those outputs are close to me <laughs> oh that's that's awesome I can't wait to get more into like some of the details here as you were thinking about the variations that you included, but I want to ask you one more question regarding uh, the pu sorry, excuse me, having the pre-curated outputs versus the randomized outputs. And if I recall, when we talked to you about dragons, and when we talked to a lot of generative artists, when you, you put your algorithm out in the wild, you don't always know 100% of what's going to come out. There's a little bit of, uh, it, let's call it stress that, oh, what if a really bad output comes out? Um, this time around, you were able to uh, pre-curate everything for the reasons you mentioned, which make a lot of sense. W what was that experience like for you 
doing this pre-curated method. And uh, yeah, like, are there any pros and cons? Like, how do you feel about it in general? Um, at first, I, I was thinking it would be easier, but actually it's not easier. It's quite the contrary because when, when, I, when I do like a long form, like a surprise thing, you don't know what, what you're buying and what I don't know what I'm creating. There's less stress on my end because I just put the algorithm out there and then, and then it, it lives on its own. But when we have to create, pre-select everything, I want the, the, whole, the whole thing to represent well the algorithm. And it's super hard because you have a limited space. Like, let, let, let's, let's say we have 10 uh, editions. So how to, to represent the best in the best way the algorithm with 10 editions. So it's super hard to, to say, okay, this is the full extent of the algorithm because the more and more I work on it, the more and more I find, find things. So it's, it's, I have to limit myself basically and to say, okay, I can't, I can't put this into the algorithm because there's not, there's not enough space. Um, so that was quite a challenge to, so I think I, I reviewed something like, yeah, I think 15 thousands of outputs so far. And, and yeah, and, and we have to make a selection with so many, like few hundreds of outputs. So it's, it's, it's a different kind of difficulty, I would say. That's interesting. Uh to talk about the different level of difficulty with pre-curation. Uh, I, I would have never had that perspective. So I appreciate you sharing that. It's it's interesting how it inter introduces a, a new level of difficulty, especially as an artist who would want to accurately represent the, the algorithm um, yeah. with that output. So that's, that's crazy. I would have never even have had that perspective, honestly. And I would say like in addition, because because you know we don't have like one year to do it so i still had to work in a long form way where every outputs are more or less awesome because i, I didn't want to have one output out of a thousand being good i wanted to have like a ratio of maybe 60 percent of being good so i still have to work that in a long form way so it was double work basically <laughs> to make a long form and then create it. But um, it's an interesting experience because then you have like, you really have the, the best of what you've made. You have no surprise because there is no, you know, element of surprise. Everything is chosen. So it's, it's the best of the best of the algorithm. But then you wonder, is there more? This is always the question, is there more of it? So, so yeah, <laughs> it's quite, quite a deal. Yeah, that's, a, that's tough, right? Like, I mean, you said you ran 15,000 outputs and it's like, you know, what, what would happen if you ran 30, 100,000? I mean, like what's hiding in the algorithm? But I think that's one of the beauties of long form generative art is you just, you never know, right? Like the, the algorithm in particular is, is never going to be fully explored. I mean, I, I look at QQL and it's like, 
just the, the the corners that end up there. So I applaud you for being able to find that that balance. I have to circle back and almost double click on something that that had a deep resonance with me because you said a word in describing this project, uh, and the word that I keep going back to is flow. And, and I think that I'm trying to look at potentially common themes through your work, and and flow is one that I think shows up for me, right? And, and my, my point being is that I think dragons had a, a beautiful flow to them, right? And, and in our deep dive, we talked about the flow and, and how it was, uh, in, we tried to articulate the visual representation of how it flowed for you. I also see an anti-cyclones of flow throughout all the different pieces. Could you maybe go into it as, uh, maybe describe flow a little bit more also, maybe touch on part two of this would be are there any common themes or throughputs that you'd like to maybe just hit on for the collectors and do a little bit of a deeper dive for um, continuity purposes throughout your collections maybe uh traits or things that maybe are on brand for william upon <laughs> um i see i i think the um... Yeah, the flow is quite uh, recurrent, like like uh, common things in my world because I like organic stuff. Um, so even when it's it's like very geometric, cool, uh, I will always try to find some curves and and basically drives have to drive the the shapes and the composition because I always thought of like when I do or make or see a painting there is always like um, a flow of reading so you start maybe from the top to the bottom or maybe you start from the left to the right uh, anything but there is always a flow of reading like a direction and it's always what I try to do some something like that in my work to to try to make the viewer read the composition beautifully. So flows and noise and curves and sinusio no trigonometry basically is a good way to to make that happen. Um, so yeah, it's always a common thing in my work, uh, I guess. And the difficulty then is to find the good ones and find new ways to use those common you know noises uh, so i always try to make my own noises um, uh, so yeah it's a bit of a hard work but i like when they don't look where how you know the, the the most basic noise is so i always try to break that down into multiple things hidden things um so yeah uh, this is super cool. So uh, clearly there's tons of beautiful flows here and flows at, at different levels as you were describing at the beginning as these strands move, sometimes coalescing, sometimes maybe they're just part of a, a bigger flow that they're not able to, um, you know, uh, uh, notice even because like you said, it's almost like a, a societal flow. So I, I love the way that you were thinking about this. And I wanted to ask you, 
you know, as you get down to the the techniques that you're working on, you mentioned noises. I imagine that there's some 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 Perlin noises here. Uh, but which uh, which primitives were you utilizing in this generative algorithm that you were trying to, you know, combine together to bring the variation? Um, they are not real primitive. <laughs> it's mostly like shaders. So, yeah, how to explain that? Uh, they are not real primitive. It's mostly about how can I cut a noise into multiple parts and then assign colors and then make make mask of it to use those masks into another composition and so on. So there is like a multiple level, like it's basically like an inception of noises, <laughs> if you can call, call it like that. Uh, I just, yeah, it's just like an inception of noises. And then I have some primitives that I draw that I use to draw like um, details, maybe some circles or square um, to just break the very organic flows. So for example, there is this uh, trait feature in, in this series uh, called Windows, where within your bubble, you can, you can see another bubble through a window. And those windows are very geometrical it can be a square, a rectangle, or a circle. And I wanted them to be very you know, sharp to just counterbalance the very organic flows. Um, so, so yeah, there are no really primitives for the main composition, but then I, I try to, to have some basic primitives here and there to just break that down and, and to balance the wall. Um, yeah. If that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and basically, I'm, I'm just really curious about, you know, some of the techniques that you employed here that you were working on, you know, which which techniques you were exploring from a code standpoint that you wanted to utilize to, to bring this expression. Uh, it's an interesting one because there wasn't really like a technical difficulty, like challenges, because all the tools I developed the, during the last year was used for this one. It was, it, but it's much more subtle. So you can you can recognize some anti-cyclone kind of texture, but it's different. So basically, yeah, basically I try to take anti-cyclone and make it something else. So I reward. I, re I rewrote the world shader and the world code to make it something else, more sensible, more less tactile, but also because I wanted it to be in between worlds, in between the physical world and in between the digital world, so it could be printed nicely. Um, so... So no real technical changes, but it was mostly so that's why I, I try to focus mainly on the on the vision and the concept. So that's how I try to push myself on on the concept level. Uh, while, for example, with anticyclone, I had these huge technical changes where with Artblock you can't use anything <laughs> basically. So I had to find a way, 
a new way for me to achieve my visuals and it turned out okay but but with this new with this new one i was confident enough to to straight away jump into the concept without worrying about the technical side that's pretty pretty cool to hear is is it has a and i love this it's like a natural progression of of you as an artist and and maybe pulling from past inspiration but also creating a vision for where you want to to end up in the process so i appreciate you sharing that and, and let me know if i misinterpreted that at all but uh it, it's cool to hear that that's kind of the 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 next progression for you yeah and i definitely think that we don't have you know with each and every project to to level up with your with the, with the technical side uh i think there's more to techniques there is more to techniques like yeah concept and visions and artistic intent so it's very important to develop those aspects as well as an artist so so i i try to balance these changes uh, sometimes a new series will be about de developing a new techniques and sometimes not, but it's all part of a, of a war, I would say, and it doesn't have to happen at the same time. That's awesome. It's probably a pretty good segue, at least in my mind for this. And, and one of the things William I've loved about all of your projects are palettes and coloring. I'm, I'm absolutely enamored oh. and in awe of everything um, you can create and just the, the sheer beauty of the outputs and how everything comes together. Um, so um, I guess my question... I, yeah, I, 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 have, I have to precise something. Is I actually had a very big change. <laughs> but it's, it's not a technical change. It's more, like, it's more than a, an artistical change. was with colors. And you'll notice that there is much more color in this series than any of my previous series because so far I was limiting myself with palettes of like two, three, maybe four colors. And for example, anti-cyclone, I was, most of the palettes are two or three colors based. And I think like Sonia, uh, Billy, and Berta are like five colors palettes and those one very gave me headaches <laughs> but it was a good a good demonstration for me to say i need to to progress into that direction so i took a challenge with the series to make only palettes with five colors and there are like 21 of them and it was a very good challenge for me to practice my color theory um color mixing, color, color combining, and how to put them nicely in a composition, much more deeper than before. And once I got that, I was like, okay, I got to that 21 palettes points. Now what if we mix two palettes made of five colors? And then a very hard headaches happened, but it was the main challenge for me as well because there is a trait, like a feature in the series uh, called conflict. So basically two social bubbles can be conflicted or have a consensus. But when they are conflicted, they have different colors. And the 
main challenge was to have them communicate beautifully without being too harsh for the eye. So, yeah, colors was a very big challenge for me on this. It's funny you reference Billy and, and Sonia as, as two AC palettes because I think that those are, even though they have more colors present, I think they created the greatest variation in outputs and have definitely been a, a color favorite. So I, I love the fact that you are experimenting and growing uh, in 21 palettes is, uh, is definitely very ambitious in such a short time. I also want to throw it back to maybe some simplicity because I think that uh, you know, one of my favorites out of AC is Graphite, and then obviously the Esquis out of, um, of Dragon. Is there any throwback to or throughput between projects for, a, I'll call it more of a, a I don't want to call it standard because that's disrespectful, but more of a sketch, a sketch type palette? Uh, yes, there is a... Um a kind of sketch. Well, it's not very sketch because it's, it's, it's not super sketchy. I mean, the textures and, uh, and the lines are not sketchy, but the colors are what I called in this muted. So all the, sh all the people, all the data are voice voiceless, uh, in the composition. And that's so that I translated that concept with muted colors. So, basically a gray scale. And it's indeed, it's a, like a recurrent, like something that comes a lot in my work. I just like the fact that you can read the composition with just gray scale. I think this is like a very strong, um, say, um, basic, no, hmm? concepts, yeah, of art is contrast and, and and value. So it's very important for me to always have those aligned. Uh, so I always put one palette, one mode where I can experiment those uh, contrasts. So the, the 21 palettes should be, no, are, <laughs> are okay with, uh, muted colors, like if they're translated with saturation, you know, minus one, the, you should still be able to read the composition. For example, if you put a very light, light yellow um, in um, side to uh, a very white color, the contrast is fucked. So you have to find a third color that will pop, pop up the wall. Um, so that's the kind of challenges I, I had. With those ones because of the five colors palette it was much more challenging for me to, to find good contrast yeah that's that's uh you're going way deeper into color theory than i'm than i'm even knowledgeable of so uh, i i love hearing you talk about this i guess one of uh my last questions regarding palette here uh, and then i know p has a few more but you know when we spoke about dragons, you know, I loved hearing some of your personal stories, and especially the the palette Mario Cardi. Uh, is there any other, or maybe any ties back to to your upbringing, life, anything in the palettes that uh, you would want to highlight, or or maybe has a deeper resonance with you that you want to showcase? Uh, yeah, there is. Specifically, all palettes are 
made with like a memory of mine um, during those four years of you know solitude and loneliness. Um, so mostly being home. So I find a lot of palettes being at home uh, in my living room in my uh, bedroom and stuff like that, my plants. And I try to convert them into memories and, and palettes. Uh, so a lot of them are made like that. And some others are made of other emotions where even if you're, you know, lockdown, you can still see friends and seeing friends was a very important part of the lockdown. So I really try to have like joyful colors as well. Like solitude is not always something bad. Something sometimes is something very very good and and cool actually. So I I try to have to balance that. Like solitude is not only a bad thing. So there is some joyful and playful palettes, but also some more low key low key palettes, I would say. Yeah, it, it certainly seems like uh, scrolling through uh, the outputs that are shown on the Tonic website that some of the palettes are really vibrant. You know, they're, they're really quite more bright, um, while some of the others are maybe a little bit more muted and a little more, more pastel in that way. Yeah. And so, yeah, this makes sense. And this is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. I mean, I think a lot of us felt these range of emotions during the lockdown and uh, honestly, not just with not being able to see people, but everything you're hearing on the news, kind of being connected, but not quite being connected uh, in the same way that we were used to. And I think that this is really fantastic to hear because it's really making me understand where this art was coming from a lot more and hearing about the colors, you know, it's like uh, you can you can look at one of the, the bright ones when you're in that mood or one of maybe the, the less bright ones when you're not. And... One of the things that I'm just really curious about is uh, coming back to the pre-curated nature of this, um, how did you go about deciding which, you know, 21 palettes, so you, you can't include uh, the equal amount of all of them. Yeah, how did you think about that as you were pre-curating them? And, and I'll throw in one twist. I know that a lot of these palettes, if not all of them, have, have a night version, right? Or where the background is black. I'm really curious to hear how you also decided you know, how much of that to include. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's back to the, um, to the answer where you want to show the very full extent of an algorithm. So if I made 21 palettes, they all have to show through the whole set. And and I get to I gotta say that Susanna and Tonic did the whole the very hard work to 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 keep me on track because <laughs> I can go in every direction at, at times. But with Tonic, it was very helpful to have them to to drive this creation of okay to have the full picture because I was straight you know making stuff and coding and making my artwork. But when you have somewhere, someone else uh, being outside of it, they can really help you to, to see 
to see your to to see your, your wall set your wall algorithm how it is how it composed as a wall so it's an effort team definitely yeah that makes perfect sense that you want to show the range of the algorithm and it's just uh, i i'm trying to put myself in your shoes and, and pick and it must be quite difficult but you know uh it's it's really really beautiful to see the variety here and on that point i wanted to ask you you, you mentioned uh, a few of the traits that show up in this collection so you mentioned uh what was it called well you mentioned the muted colors and then conflict i think was the other trait that you had talked about uh can you talk through any of the other traits or categories that emerge in the collection um yeah what what was maybe um do you have a list of that somewhere <laughs> maybe I, I don't have a list so just if there's anything that comes to mind but oh, you don't yeah, have to cover I, everything yeah but, definitely yeah. like a, a very important one uh is echo chamber so basically you'll see you'll not i think there is one in the preview uh, you'll notice like a frame into the frame that is very dense and everything outside is stripped is less dense and it was meant to say sometimes you know with social media social bubbles you can't see outside of your bubble and everything outside is blurred so i try i tried to to represent that blurry state of being outside of a bubble everything outside you don't hear it you don't see it it's just something you heard of and you just deny it basically and everything inside is your truth so everything is clear inside so this is the echo chamber trait which is super important i think uh there are the bridges the bridges are the opposite of echo chamber i would say it's like it's meant to to travel across bubble so this, this is like the main i think the um, the, the hero the, the hero image of um the series the one on tonic is made with bridges so it's basically vertical lines that fl that flows towards the the screen vertically and you can yeah basically travel bubbles like that this is the concept um a very good one as well um i think this one will be harder to find but there is one called lines of like glimpse of joy um so there's one palette which is a joy one and sometimes I will try to inject this palette into another, but very, you know, in a subtle way. So it will be very thin lines, like contour, uh, edges of other shapes. And it's meant to be, oh, I have this emotion, but the joy emotion is not very far. It's like around the corner. So this is a glimpse of joy um, feature trait. Uh, what else? Of course, the time, like day or night. Um, and that's it. And the windows that I was talking about, the geometrical, you know, portals, I would say. 
God, awesome. And I think I found, I pinned a tweet to the spaces. Is this the echo chamber trait? I want to just quickly check and see. This, this one really stuck out to me. but Or maybe this is the bridges because it's bubbling. It, it's, there is like, it is, this is bridges. Bridges and conflict. Bridges and conflict. Amazing. And a question for you on the nitrate, because I know in anti-cyclone, not every single pallet had a night version. Is that also the case with the strands of solitude? Uh. I try to make them all work with night, but I'm not sure if all of them are represented in the integration. Uh, maybe Susanna can help with that, but I'm not sure. I, I, don't, I didn't want to over overload the full set with night uh, features because this is not the main aspect of it. I mean, you, you live mostly by day, not by night, so this series is about daytime. But uh, yeah, there is some, a lot of them, but I'm not sure if every pilot have a night version, but they can handle it. I wanted to ask about, uh, and I don't know if this is, um, if it's public, but any hidden traits, is there anything that maybe shows up in the outputs that's not distinctly in the meta? And I, and I say this because in talking with you about dragons and digging deeper, you know, it really came to light that there's these, even though it's a named palette, some of the outputs were really of that uh, black and white uh, output that wasn't uh, wasn't a raw. Uh, so I guess my question is, is there anything that you're willing to, to share with, with the listenership about, uh, I call it a hidden trait, but maybe something that, that you're proud of or is in the algorithm that doesn't necessarily show up or would not show up in the metadata? Uh, I think there's not because this is a pre-selected one. So I I have no surprise basically. So I every time I had a surprise, I was like, oh, that's a cool feature. I'm going to make this a feature. But sometimes I wasn't, um, I, I didn't say, I didn't, uh, on vision that some outputs would have so many parameters on, like, oh, this output will have the echo chamber on, will have the bridges on, will have the traits, the glimpse of joy uh, on. And those ones are very beautiful for me because I wasn't expecti expecting them because I wasn't thinking the algorithm was was about to pick you know those parameters and make them into one composition because I tried to avoid that but you know the, the algorithm are, are wild things on their own and I'm very glad that that this happened because it's always a col collaboration with the computer so even if you say to it don't do that it will find a way to do it uh, with genetic arts because there are so many randomness that at some point you can't you can control everything. So, so yeah, it's mostly a combination of traits that I wasn't expecting, but at the end, they are very beautiful as well, but no hidden traits with this one. With this one. All right, all right. I was, try I was trying to squeak one out of you, but I guess if there's <laughs> nothing hidden, then there's nothing hidden, which I can appreciate. 
before we kind of transition a little bit, is there anything you wanted to highlight, William, uh, regarding outputs or anything about the art that we we didn't touch on that's top of mind for you? Um, I definitely made this series with printing in mind, if not first. So um, the maximum resolution that we offer with Tonic is having 72 inches, which is 180 centimeters height, uh, which is very big. It's like my height (laughs) is big. And I wanted the series to be very beautiful on print, like very detailed. So, and that's why that's, that's also like something that drives that drove my choices to have some in details because some details can't show on screen. They only show on paper because your screen is very tiny, right? So, but with a 180 centimeters print, everything starts to appear and it's a very magical moment, I think, to to have that. So it's like a double... It's like a it's double, really important to highlight. Double vision. Sorry, go ahead. And and yeah, basic. I, I would say with this one, I will try to have. When you you can have a, a view from afar and say, oh, I see those flows, I see those movements, and you go up close and you see something else. And even when something is very isolated, it still has a story. So it was very important for me to to have this double reading in the composition. And I, and I love that. I, I think that one of the, the, for two reasons, one, especially for onboarding, uh, I'll call it maybe non-native digital art individuals, it's important to be able to have that, or it could be important to have that print. I'd love to hear more about that later on. I think the other part for me is as I'm transitioning into actually hanging more stuff on my walls rather than just having it um, on on a ledger. Uh, you know, being able to have that that scalability is I think really critical to being able to enjoy the art because you're you're essentially giving the the viewer and the owner the ability to 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 enjoy that on their own terms. I, kind of random that just popped up. Are you gonna be offering uh, sign prints is it going to be limited to whoever owns it and there's as many prints as possible or there's going to be solely one of one once it's claimed it's gone what, what are you thinking about that as far as the the marriage between physical and digital um it will be it, it won't be i think as as soon as you have the nft you can ask for prints so it's not limited to if 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 the print has already been printed you can't you can still have a version, like a version for you, because it's not it's not signed. It's most just beautifully printed. Um, because basically, I see the prints has a representation, like a view of the algorithm. Um, I didn't. I still wanted the algorithm to live on the computer as well, so always this in between. So it's very digital native with the, 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 
you know, the, the advantage of being very good on prints. But uh, yeah, you can still have one, even if you buy on, on secondary. And I think that's also a way to onboard more people with your anti-art is even if you buy it on secondary, you can still have a print. And I definitely think that print and physical have the, um, the power of bridging Web 2 and Web 3 collectors. Um, so yeah, I forgot the question, but <laughs> that's my answer. No, 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 that, that's all good. We just see there's different uh, ways which artists will provide prints. Sometimes they say anybody can buy one. doesn't matter if you hold the NFT or not. Sometimes they say you have to own the NFT and yeah. I'll send you one. Sometimes they say I'll send you, uh, I'll only send one ever. So whoever claims it, then they get the one. And then sometimes they say only one will be signed, but then people can still claim it afterwards, but they'll get unsigned ones. So we're just curious if you thought about that. Dynamic. Yeah, usually when I sign a print, I won't print it again. But when it's not signed, for me, it's like a view. You can do it again. Uh, yeah, I think the difference for me is signed or not signed. I wouldn't make this mechanism if I was signing every single <laughs> print. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, well, that's awesome. I hope to see one of these in person since they're designed specifically for this as soon as possible. Uh, whenever that may be. And I wanted to just ask you one more question. I've been thinking about it. So I really started my generative art journey with Anticyclone and that release. And I think back, it's been uh, about 10 months. We'll, we'll call it a year to make it easy. And I wanted to just ask you, as you are looking back at your generative art career, uh, which from from... From our uh, historic recordings, at least from when we've started noticing, you started with dragons, and up until now, everything you've done, just yeah, how has it been, and and what comes up for you as you reflect on it? Um, I think I understood something that it's really easy to get in a very chaotic flow of making stuff, so. I learned the hard way last year to to slow down um, because as soon as you have a popular series, uh, a lot of people ask for more and for more and for them and for you and for them and for them again. And it can very quickly become uh, overwhelming. So I had this problematic last year to say yes too often, but because it was cool as well, I couldn't say no, but it's very hard to say no. So I try to learn to say no to things and to be more respectful of my body, <laughs> basically, and my health. Um, so that's the, main, that's the main things I had to deal with. Uh, on, the artistic, um, on the artistic side, I think it's, being full-time since last year, since Anticyclone, really enabled me to explore everything I wanted to explore. I just have the time to do it now. Like for the past 10 years, I was having a 
full-time job and doing this like three or three hours uh, by night. But now I can do it a day. I feel, I feel amazing to, and very lucky to do that. And yeah, I just, I just have so many ideas. I just, I just can explore them all. So it's, it's very crazy to think about that now. Um, so yeah. Well, first off, congrats for being uh, full-time, very well-deserved, and absolutely need to take care of yourself first and foremost. It's the only way you can be present for your family. I know you got a little one, and uh, and be able to put your, your best product out there. I think that's absolutely critical, and, and my wife is really big into to the wellness arena, so you know it's always top of mind for me, but setting that firm foundation is absolutely critical for, uh, for, in my opinion, for launching not only your best self, but your best work. Definitely. I think it's very important for the long run to take care of everything, but at a slow pace, because you can really burn down very quickly um, with Web3. Everything is doing amazing things all the time, 24-7, and you want to jump on everything, but you can't just physically physically can't, so you have to pick your battles. Um, so mostly now I try to to envision my my art on the long term, and and make my choices dependent of of this. So basically, I have my whole year planned, <laughs> but it's very, with very few things. I don't want to burn myself again so so yeah yeah web3 is a vicious place it expects you to be on all the time so kudos to you for, for finding that that balance i know it's tough myself included it's been a journey um i wanted to take this moment to open it up for listener questions if there's anybody out there who through the discussion has been able to um you know conjure up something or explore a corner uh, or thought that we haven't uh, scratched on I'd love to to have you up. You know, really, really great opportunity for for William and Susanna to to be available. And and with that, while we're getting people up, Susanna, would you like to have the forum to talk about Tonic and and what partnerships you have, and not only with artists but traditional collectors, traditional spaces. I hate that phrase of traditional, but we'll we'll utilize that until somebody can help me with a be- with a better phrase but anything you want to share I, you've been you know quiet and and allowing william to have this platform so I, i'd love for you to have an opportunity to to showcase what you're doing with tonic of course thank you so much for having me on this is really william's week so i'm glad that you all got to hear directly from him about this really beautiful collection that i've been staring at for now weeks and months i'm um, so happy months. I'm just happy that we can share it with the world. It has changed a lot over the last few months, to be fair, but um, but I, I've i felt like I've been gatekeeping that, so I'm so glad that we've been able to actually share some of these works. It's a really incredible series. So quick intro to me. I am the CEO and co-founder of Tonic. Um, it is a NFT gallery that focuses on generative and digitally native art. Um, for crypto and non-crypto natives, and we're really focusing on bridging the digital physical gap. The most obvious way, as already covered here, it's by offering 
the option for a physical derivative of every single work that we release. That's um, for this collection. If you buy at the Mint, you can receive a free 9 by 16 print or use your print credit to upgrade to a larger size. And as William said, we are offering works up to 72 inches, which is really, really massive. So um, the work looks incredible across the scales. I, If I can afford it in the upcoming auction, I definitely want to get one that we print at the largest size. Sorry, I'm a dope and hit the wrong button. User error. Susanna, I think you're muted by uh, purely fat thumbing this on my end. No problem. I was just saying that the um, the details when you print that largest size are really incredible. It almost looks like watercolor and graphite. It's really, um, it's really exceptional. So I would suggest if anyone is lucky enough to get a mint, um, considering that really large scale print. And then uh, in terms of how else we're bridging this gap, we're really looking to onboard the next generation of buyers into the space. We are, um, I have deep roots in the traditional art world, but also we're working with a group of founding partners who are rock stars in the interior design space to help contextualize the work and give that aha moment. So people who are less familiar with the space, who don't understand what generative art is or what digitally native art is, can really understand how they can receive that full utility of display, live with the work in their home, et cetera. So our mission is really um, evangelists for the space. It's to go out, bring in new audiences, and find new ways to engage uh, the broader public. I think it's the most interesting thing happening in art and creation right now. And so I just want to share that with broader audience. Um, again, not my moment, so happy to answer any questions that anyone has, but um, I'll turn it back over for questions. Awesome, thank you for doing that. I know we have one listener up here, uh, Grace B. Hopefully I'm not mispronouncing any of that, so apologies if I uh, butchered anything in the process, and please feel free to correct me. Always willing to learn. Uh, any questions for either Tonic or William? Uh, yes, hi. My name is Grace, so it's easy enough. Uh, two questions for William. William, you often use the term beautiful. So my question is, what does beautiful mean to you nowadays? And how has this concept changed for you in the past, say, one to three years? Um, I think it's an easy one. I think it just, uh, on the personal point of view, as soon as it touches me, and that's as soon as I, I estimate that I translated well what I wanted to say, for me it's beautiful. Um, but it's so hard to express yourself with so so basic computer, so basic machine that understand very rough instructions. So to be able to express yourself with this is for me very beautiful. And when this happened, this is amazing. This is amazing to me. Like, oh, this, it can do that. It can say what I want to say, and it becomes a real partnership. It's not just me throwing, okay, draw a square in the middle and that's it. Just like try with me to say something. And that to me is beautiful. Uh, thanks. So in connection to this, you shared that you will 
move to painting, uh, if that's still the case, is this an each of yours, like something that you cannot get rid of, like 24-7, this idea of moving into painting? And then how do you think that will help you express what's beautiful, say, uh, compared to coding, pure coding? Um, I think it's it's always a part of me, painting or drawing or whatever analog practice it is. So, and it always has been um, a ping pong, I would say, oh, I'm going to draw, I'm going to paint, and then I'm, I'm going to code. And just like that, step by step, I just, even without noticing, uh, stuff happen. And I try and, and my mind start to analyze my, my analog practice and my analog practice start to analyze my coding practice. So everything gets mixed up. Um, but yes, yeah, so far I've been importing my analog practice into the digital realm, but at some point I'd like to do the opposite. And I have a few ideas already, but this takes time. So <laughs> because analog is much more slower, um, yeah, just much, it's just much slower. So I can't iterate at the same pace, but yeah, it's always on my mind. I won't ever let down analog. Um. Reminder, anybody out there who would like to have a question, please feel free to come up. If you're all multitasking at work and or other activities where you can't do it, please feel free to uh, send P or I a DM. We, we can ask on your behalf. I feel like that's that's viable. I actually have a question for, for Grace, if you don't mind, and you don't have to ask if you don't want to, but, you know, I guess I would ask is, as a, in your Twitter bio, you have art collector and all the way to angel investor and family office. I guess my question for you would be uh, as a collector and then representing not only collecting, but family offices and angel investing, what is it that attracts you to William's work? Um, it speaks to me. <laughs> um, I am moved by it. I can see William's contradictions. And then I can see his genius in uh, tolerating those contradictions and still producing art, even though I guess he is, how do you say, conflict, conflicted as he tries to put it all in, in a collection. So that's it. But, I, but at the bottom, I don't follow anyone. I just buy art that speaks to me and I do it for pleasure. I don't sell. I just buy. Yeah, that's it's funny. Even when I buy with the intent to sell, I, I can't sell it when it comes time to actually pull the trigger, especially with William's work because it's so, so beautiful. And uh, thank you for that question and the response, Grace, uh, the questions. But... Just to clarify, I don't... The family office is separate from being an angel investor, which is separate from collecting art. So I don't collect art for economic purposes. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's just a lot of different verticals that you, you touch. And, and that's, you know, what I'm loving about this space is that it's bringing some of the best and brightest minds and, and we're able to tap into all different walks of life. And, but one of the things that I love about the throughput is the, the emotional connection to art. 
uh, and you know I've, I've stated it publicly, but there's a couple pieces of Williams that I, I generically say I'm a gift to my my children because it's just I'm so emotionally attached to it. I have zero intention of selling it. So um, you know I, I love that response and 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 being able to be a a diamond handed collector is a, a very special thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to echo what Jay Paws is, sorry, Jared is saying, as he goes by Jay Paws in Discord, so I have a habit of saying that accidentally. But it's so cool to see the different, the range of people who are drawn to generative art. Actually, Suzanne and I talked about this too. It's just so, such a vibrant space from the artists to the collectors to, you know, across the whole world. I mean, it just seems to be really cool to see this growing. And so it's fantastic to see, you know, like Jared was saying, folks with many different, who wear many different hats and many different talents who are interested. And, and all of that comes into the space and makes it us all better as we contribute. So uh, just, yeah, really uh, appreciate that. and. As I, uh, you know, I have one more question for William. So if anybody else wants to hop up or as Jared mentioned, send us a message um, or also you can uh, just respond to this tweet thread that was this uh, for this spaces. But question for you, William, what's next? I know that you're probably uh, not trying to think so much about that, but uh, do you have uh, anything else in the works, whether there's an actual show announced or just whatever you're working on at the time, what's, uh, what's next for you? So I have so many stuff next, <laughs> but one thing that is announced is my next um, collaboration with LACMA. Um, it, should be, it should be like a long form uh, series. So this is the next step for me, which is a very huge step to be doing something with LACMA. I could never even imagine to me, something like that uh, two years ago. It's it's just crazy to me. But um, I have this that I can say. And I have a bunch of stuff. So, But I mostly post whips on Twitter. So so you can see what I'm working on. Mm, I don't hide. Well, I hide some stuff. But because I have so many stuff in my folders, I can't post it, post it all on Twitter. But I try, I always try to to share stuff uh, on social. Um, but yeah, basically, I, I try mostly during this year to connect more with physical and with my <clears throat> analog practice. So <clears throat> even this, uh, you maybe saw that things I was doing before, um, it's very crayony, um, pastel crayon uh, type of art which is all done with code. And this one is very important to me because it's how I learned to draw and to paint. And I just got the, um, the trigger. Oh, I can automate this with code. And I was looking for this for so many years. And now I found uh, the formula to do it. So. Now it's on. I just have to explore that that new path um, uh, that is before me. Uh, but yeah, I have so many stuff like crayon, paints, um, so many stuff. I just need the time <laughs> to explore. Uh, but yeah, some 
a couple of things that are planned uh, for the year already. So new stuff has been pushed to next year already. Because I, I really try to have time to develop now everything I do uh, and take time to reflect and to think and to d digest what I do. Voila. That's awesome. I, I love the intent behind it. And uh, in, in that in combination with uh, your previous comment about taking care of yourself, uh, it makes me even more bullish on you as an artist and, and the outputs and work that uh, we have to look forward to. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, again, anybody from the listenership, please feel free to come up, uh, ask William a question, ask Susanna Tonic a question. I guess one of the, the questions I have that came up for Susanna is, one of the big themes of, of this and then speaking with William was the, the integration of uh, physical prints and maybe some non-Web3 native individuals in the, in the onboarding them, right? Which I think is a very admirable quest and uh, goal that you guys have at Tonic. Ultimately, my question is, is how are you seeing um, the the embracing of this and, and what sort of I'll call it reaction have have you gotten from from maybe those targeted collectors based on the the reach of your partnerships it definitely is a learning curve i would say the biggest barrier is really explaining to them what an nft is and what the blockchain is that first educational barrier is really important to get through because I think the current news cycle makes the blockchain seem frightening and like something where you get scammed. But in reality, it is far more transparent and trustworthy than the current traditional market, which is dominated by private sales where none of this transaction records are public. And so it's about phrasing the technical element in a way that is really easy to understand. And then it's about getting out of your own way and letting the artists tell their story because, I mean, that's certainly why I fell in love with generative art. It's showing exceptional works hanging in homes in spaces where people can understand, ah, I get it. This is digitally native, but it's beautiful and I can really enjoy it. And then things like William, for instance, sharing his code. We have many in-person and virtual calls and events where the artist can get up and actually like lift the curtain a bit and show people how they're building what they're building. And that added connection and insight and that direct relationship with the artist is extremely powerful. It has been amazing how um, quick the embracing has been. On our first pre-bidding uh, bidding call, we always have a live call during the auctions. We had a 75-year-old woman who had heard about us on an Artnet article had understood, she said she got NFTs for the first time. And so she showed up for the auction and was bidding and joined that call and chatted with us. So it's about finding new ways of talking about these things that um, really is digestible and appealing to a non-Web3 native. Thank you for sharing that, Susanna. That's actually a really, really cool story to hear and experience to hear about because we don't really see the other side of it as much over here in in our web three corner 
And I feel like the service that folks like Tonic and you are doing in bridging these worlds is just going to be so much. It just makes everything better for all of us. So we really appreciate you doing that. And, you know, the thoughtful approach that you've taken to William's collection as to how it can help onboard those collectors who may have some misperceptions or maybe just need some time to, to fully understand it. So I have to I'm sorry, say this. Sorry, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of individual one-on-one -on -one calls, but I think it's um, a net benefit to the entire community. So we're willing to, to do that work. We have a concierge service available by email, Discord, and for live calls. So we're really, it's a hands-on one-to-one onboarding process, but we're doing it. So don't worry, we're on it, I would say. Awesome. Awesome. We appreciate it. And as Jared and I like to say, it's kind of death by a million cuts, you know, or uh, I'll use another uh, overblown analogy with like the ice cube melting and a lot of the, uh, the melting's happening before you see it. And, and we think the fusion of both worlds will happen in that way. So yeah, really, really appreciate that. And uh, it looks like there's probably not any more questions, so we can go ahead and, and wrap it up and get, hopefully William can get some rest I really appreciate you taking the time. We appreciate you uh, coming and sharing with us. As always, we're huge fans. And uh, William's actually the first artist to come on twice to Collector's Corner. So thank you for that as well, William. We, you know, yeah, we're we're just can't tell you how big of fans we are. Uh, thank you, Susanna, for coming and sharing about Tonic and all the hard work that you and William both put in for this drop. And uh, Grace, thanks for the question. Thanks for everybody for tuning in and for everybody who listens to it later. We appreciate you all. So with that, hope you all have a great uh, morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you, William and Susanna. Loved it. Appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you like this episode and want to help us out, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow us on YouTube. Please also follow us on Twitter for announcements as we expand to other social and content platforms. Our Twitter handle is at collectors underscore XYZ. We'd also love to hear any feedback you have. So please comment or reach out. We're always striving to be more useful and get better so we can help you in your collecting journey. The Collector's Corner team and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.